Welcome everyone to our episode of Community Conversations, hosted by the Peaceful World Foundation in Petaluma, California. Today, we are joined by Greta Severson from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to lead our conversation on the origins of the peace symbol. Greta is a seasoned art teacher and has been teaching all grade levels from K to 12 throughout the past 20 years. She is a returned AmeriCorps and Peace Corps volunteer. Thank you. Welcome everyone um, joining in today for our special presentation. I wanna speak a little bit about um, what we do here with the Peaceful World Foundation. Uh, the Peaceful World Foundation was founded uh, by our late Sami Sunchild, who original artwork is behind me. She was really big on the peace symbols. And Sami Sunchild always loved the peace symbol. And she made it a point to get people conversing about peace. And she was always really good at not hinting that she knew the origins of the peace symbol, but she really encouraged people to seek for themselves, to investigate, to do the research. She always kept it as an open-ended question, the mystery of peace. And uh, our work at the foundation is to promote peaceful world conversations and to bring people together in camaraderie to escalate the message of peace. We also support nonprofit organizations in their peace building efforts through facilitating hosting conversations and uh, supporting grants. And today I were really excited to be bringing together this theme on exploring the origins of the peace symbol. So as we get started, I wanted to introduce um, Greta Severson, and I want to give a little bit of a background on how this project came to be. I met Greta Severson back in January 2000, as we both joined Peace Corps on our way to Papua New Guinea. And Peace Corps had a staging in Seattle, Washington. And uh, there we uh, just formed a really wonderful friendship. She got off the bus along with her guitar. And from there, I was just hooked on our friendship. So welcome, Greta. Hi, thank you, Heidi. Um, so I'm gonna put up this Padlet that I have to share very quickly because I have a few pictures of us here together. Um, so one, I do have uh, an image of the artist, Sammy Sunchild, who uh, Heidi was just speaking of, is the um, founder of the Peaceful World Foundation. So I wanted to share that quickly. Uh, beautiful piece, and she did explore the theme of the peace symbol many times over the years. And then here's a picture of Heidi and I starting out together um, in the Peace Corps. So uh, that was, what did we decide? It was year 2000. January 2000, yes. So a long time um, that we've been friends and have uh, been having conversations about um, what world peace means, uh, what we can do as individuals, and, um, you know, just how we can try to drive that conversation forward. 
And this is a picture of us together at my house, actually, um, maybe about five years ago when Heidi came to visit and I live in Pittsburgh. So um, earlier, I think we established that I'm the only one representing the East Coast today. Um, <laughs> it's really great to have Zoom because now we can do things like this where we can easily see each other, even though um, we're nowhere near each other. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Um, because both Heidi and I really feel that um, having conversations as well as, um, you know, really intentionally trying to do things uh, with art to try to um, create a better world is a part of our um, life philosophy. So thank you for joining us in that today. Heidi, did you uh, want to take it from here for a minute? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. am. Um... I'm really excited to be introducing our our next speaker, who is going to set us, who's going to um, set the stage for us on what was happening, both on the international and national political social landscape of our um, of our global context um, in the 1950s. And I wanted to share a little bit about my fifth grade teacher and friend, Mr. Rosinski, who was born in Alaska and who moved to Richmond, Virginia at the age of five. And in our conversations, Mr. Rosinski shared um, how the discrimination and the segregation of Black African-Americans really set a very deep impression for him, which shaped him to be the person that he is today. And um, I'm really very touched and humbled to be introducing Mr. Rosinski. So welcome. <laughs> well, thank you, Heidi, and thank you for having me. And uh, um, I, I, uh, I am a child of the, of the 1950s. I was, I was born in uh, 1952 at the uh, height of the uh, Cold War, and of course that after World War II, the United States and the Soviet Union became uh, two great world powers. However, our governments were very, very different in the way we uh, looked at the world and so forth. And in uh, June of June 25th of 1950, the Korean War began, of course, and uh, that led to uh, a lot of uh, fear between the communism and, and democracy in the world. Um, there was the, of course, the commie scare with uh, Joe McCarthy and so forth in the in the 1950s that I, I vaguely remember because I was very, very small at the time, and very young. Um, uh, I do remember uh, as a young boy at about the age of uh, five or six with my buddy going outside one night and looking up at the skies. We watched uh, Sputnik, uh, the Soviet uh, satellite going by. We looked up in the sky and watched that. Um, so my, my recollection of the 1950s is is not very is not very vivid, but I do remember the uh, the Cold War and, and of course the, the scare with uh, with communism and democracy in the world. Um, of course, the, the most the most period that I remember is the 1960s as a young boy and uh, moving to Virginia and living in Virginia, of course. Um, I do remember the election of John Kennedy, which was an exciting time in my life. My my parents and members of our family worked hard. I remember to uh, to, 
see a, a new regime coming into politics with uh, with John Kennedy, and that was an exciting time in, in my life too. Um, of course, then the Cuban Missile Crisis, once again with the the problems with the, the two different forms of government, with democracy and communism in the world, which was a very scary time. I do recall as a young child too. Um, most of the, the 60s that I recall was growing up in Virginia and, and segregation still in the late 50s and early 60s being very prevalent in the South uh, and working working hard with the civil rights movement, uh, Dr. King and, and, and uh, all of the segregation that going on in the South at the time. I, I have a vivid uh, recollection of that as well. Um, of course, Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy, those were, those were highlights of the 60s to me. And um, all of these things that were going on made the 60s a very, very exciting time to, uh, to be a part of history. Um, and then, of course, the war in Vietnam um, was, a, was a, another recollection of, of the once again communism and democracy and and those types of things too uh, and then I, uh, the, the late 60s was was time of uh, the counterculture movement I moved to San Francisco in, in 1969 and I do remember being a part of the uh, the, of the the protest in regards to the Vietnam War I remember attending it uh, in 1969 at the polo fields in San Francisco a, a huge Vietnam uh, a protest and demonstration was at the polo fields it was packed and listening to the music of uh, Crosby Stills and Nash and all of the the events that were involved in, in that period too so it was a very very exciting time um, that's my first uh, real recollection of of the peace movement and in things that were going on in our in, in our culture which was was very exciting so those are my thoughts and my recollections on the uh the 50s and the 60s mr Rosinski, do you want to share a bit about um the fights that you got yourself into for being outspoken as a child uh yeah, a little bit of, of I do remember uh, getting into an argument with uh, some kids in the neighborhood about the about the riots that were going on in Watts in the 1960s. And uh, one of the boys said that he thought they should all be uh, badly, you know, reprimanded for their actions. And I and I spoke up against that. I do remember getting uh, a fist in my jaw and, and getting into a, a big fight with that. Um, I do remember an incident in the classroom one time when I was like in fifth grade when we were speaking about civil rights where I spoke up and many of my classmates were uh, gave me a standing ovation for speaking out against the uh, to the discrimination and the segregation that was that was so prevalent in the South in the late 50s and early 60s. So. I did have my moments of uh, of uh, of taking quite a bit of abuse because of uh, my strong feelings on on uh, ending segregation, and I've always been a, I've always been a huge op opponent of, of of bigotry and racism, and all of those things lead to hatred, which is something I've always had a great disdain for. Uh, 
and hope for a world where we can we could all understand that we all are just one people and we need to uh, treat each individual with dignity and respect there should be no um there should be no uh, separation of of individuals from from one another we are all one we're all one human race and uh it's always been one of my my biggest uh hopes for 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 humanity is that we could come to grips with that and i think as we as we so i recall of the late 60s and and the uh, the, the countercultural movement is is moving away the, the the hippies had a had a great message the message was love and peace and harmony it, it it was a wonderful idea it didn't really manifest itself i don't think fully as as time went on but i do believe that the roots of uh of that movement were very very strong and um and um and led to hopefully a world of, of peace um mm -hmm. i think i think today what we need to do is 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 look at it global more of a global type thing especially with what was going on in the environment with with our planet and how we relate to taking care of our home and uh and and treating our planet the need, the way we need to treat it so the next generations of of people that come on our planet will have a, a world to live in that will be uh will be wonderful to to live in um i see that now in california with especially with the wildfires and the drought and uh the changes that we are going through and we must mm -hmm. come to grips with that so mm -hmm. my, my uh thoughts of the late 60s in regards to uh, the movement of peace in, in in with human beings is that we have to move now more towards uh understanding the peace that we have with our own environment and and how we live uh, on our planet and take care of that okay Thank you, Mr. Rosinski. The segues into uh, Greta's presentation on the origins now of the peace symbol. So thank you, Mr. Rosinski, for giving us a bit of a background of what was going on in the 50s and 60s. Okay, so I'm going to pull up um, this Padlet again. And um, I've tried to do my best to, it, there's so much going on in this time period and so many different points of view as to um, the peace symbol and its place in our history that I tried to pull together as many resources I thought would be helpful um, to getting a, a really under, a good understanding of how art itself in the creation of the peace symbol, as well as other art that influenced um, the making of the symbol are a part of that, that protest and that, um, that creation of an understanding of what peace is. So um, first thing that I'll share with you, this is actually um, just a trailer for a movie. I, have any of you ever heard of this movie before? It's called Beating the Bomb. So um, it's, it's a piece, it's a documentary uh, that talks about the piece symbol. I'm gonna show you the trailer very quickly. Oops, no, I'm not, that's actually to the film itself. And I did watch the film and I, it was a while ago and um, I believe that I watched it on YouTube. Our greatest cultural gift to the world, the CND symbol, which is on the badge, 
uh, it's just all over the world. It stands for ND and the semaphore um, signals. That has become embraced worldwide as a peace symbol. Okay, so that trailer is for um, an actual documentary film that talks about the CND. That's the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. The actual origin of the peace symbol started out of um, a protest against nuclear armament. And um, there was a, an artist, his name was Gerald Holton, and he was hired by the CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, to create a symbol for their first march that they were holding against nuclear armament in uh, Britain. Britain had uh, been on its way to becoming the third greatest nuclear power. Um, and just as Mr. Rosinski had been talking about the 1950s and the Cold War, that that arms race for nuclear arms um, started to grow. So it wasn't just the United States, it wasn't just Russia, it was then starting to become um, more prevalent and Britain was on its way to becoming the third nuclear power uh, working alongside the United States. And so there was a group and that CND um, organization was led, it was actually um, created by Bertrand Russell and he is a Nobel Literature Laureate and a committed pacifist. And he is um, the one that created and co-founded the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. And it was that organization that brought in Gerald Holtam. And this is a picture here of Gerald Holtam to develop the peace symbol. So I'm gonna share with you another quick video. And um, the videos I think really bring to life um, and give you a broader picture through imagery, um, and actual documented uh, photography from the time period that brings life to it. So I'm gonna share this video um, also found on- You've seen this symbol at demonstrations, on banners, t-shirts, and necklaces. It's just three lines in a circle, but you probably know what it represents, a concept as complex as peace. The atomic bomb flash could burn you worse than a terrible sunburn. To bomb, duck, and cover. And very tightly, you cover the back of your neck, your face. Gerald Holton created the symbol in 1958 to protest against the manufacturing of nuclear weapons in England. He designed it so that its message would be immediately recognizable, giving it greater power and influence. To do that, Holtam's designs simply use the letters N and D for nuclear disarmament using the flag alphabet, which sailors use to communicate on the high seas. But the symbol also has another meaning. It represents a person in despair with lifted arms and palms outstretched of that of the man facing the firing squad in Goya's famous painting, the 3rd of May, 1808 in Madrid. The symbol quickly became popular with those who opposed the use of nuclear weapons, so much so that it was spread across the world and its meaning began to evolve to represent more general causes. 
It emerged in the United States during the Civil Rights Movement and became popular when protesters against the Vietnam War adopted it as a symbol of nonviolence in counterculture. But the evolution of its meaning didn't stop there. The message of this design became universal. And because of its simplicity, it was easy to remember and to draw. That's why over its more than 60 years of existence, this symbol has been continually adopted and adapted by various people and movements in defense of principles like tolerance, equality, and the environment. This was made possible by Gerald Holtham when he decided not to copyright the symbol despite its extreme success. Because by not belonging to anyone, that means everyone is able to use it to advocate peace. Okay, so um, in coming back to viewing um, Gerald Holtham and the start of it, I'll just sort of zone in a little bit uh, to again talk about where it came from. So the origin of the peace symbol was used to um, protest against nuclear armament and the buildup of these arms, the manufacturing of them, um, and the usage of them. So there was a march planned from London to Aldermaston, and that was in Britain. It was a 52-mile walk that this first march uh, was organized. And this symbol was to be used by those that were protesting um, as a way to communicate their outrage against using nuclear arms. They had already seen in 1945 the dropping of a bomb on Hiroshima and a few days later um, on Nagasaki. So the world had already witnessed um, the atrocity of nuclear war. And this movement, this counterculture was just in its beginning stages. So to create this idea, this symbol, Holtam uses two different things as inspiration. He starts with the semaphore signals that they use in the Naval um, Service to show the letters N and D for communication. And you can see the arms down stretched and straight up and then brought together. The circle around is meant to represent the earth. So the idea that um, all of us together against um, or for nuclear disarmament. So that's one um, piece of what he draws upon. He said himself that he also pulled um, together ideas as we always do when we're kind of, you know, trying to figure things out. We're always pulling upon different experiences that we've had. One thing that emerged in his ideas was the idea of the tree of life and that upward movement, that um, idea of growing up and um, that sort of hopeful uplifting. And you see that in this image of a tree of life example, the swirling circle around. So that was in his thoughts in the back. And then um, last in the back of his mind was the idea of the 3rd of May. Uh, um, Holtam himself had attended the Royal Academy of Art. And so he was um, well-versed in art history and himself as a, a conscientious objector had you know, already been um, aware of protest art like Guernica by Picasso and this piece, the 3rd of May by Francisco Goya. This painting was created after the Peninsular Wars, where the Spanish had risen up to fight against um, Napoleon Bonaparte's, um, his play to take over Spain. And really, it was the uprising of individual peoples, uh, guerrilla warfare, that um, staved off the French from taking over Spain at that time. 
So um, going back, actually, Goya had asked the government if he could create um, a work of art in honor commemorating what had happened. And you see here, this is a departure from all the art that had happened. This is considered one of the first modern works of art. And it's considered that because of its gruesome depiction of war, the reality that um, it's not a noble gesture that real people, individual civilians, people that may or may not have a stake um, in this disagreement between governments over politics or ideology um, pay the price. And you see the figures strewn in the foreground um, in a very real and very um, awful way. And you see the figure who is um, standing up, uh, the man with his arms outstretched, highlighted by the light, um, standing up in front of the um, firing squad, the faceless masses that um, plan to um, take over Spain at the time. So he's influenced by all these things flooding in together, and he lands at the, the peace symbol that we all recognize today. This was one of the badges created for the very first march, and um, an artist who uh, took these and, and created almost like a button for protesters to wear, made it out of clay. It's a ceramic piece. And one of his words that he attached to it as they were passing out was that in the case of um, nuclear fallout, which people really, you know, they were very concerned. This was a heightened time um, just after um, the atomic bombs had been dropped, that this would be something that would actually survive. That, you know, much of the, uh, the rest of materials, organic materials, would be destroyed, but um, this would survive fallout. So they made it out of um, clay for that reason. And um, the march to Aldermaston was because in Aldermaston, there was actually an H-bomb testing, storing, and manufacturing site. So that's why they chose that. And it was um, several years after the first march, and I'm trying to look for my date here where I put it down that over 100,000 people attended the rally um, in support of nuclear disarmament. And I have a picture here, Greta. I want just, this is the picture of, um, I'll just over here in the book here. Let me do that so everyone can Yeah, see. the photographer said that there were so many people, he was unable to capture um, how huge and how impressive it was to see so many people come together and solidarity against nuclear armament. So during um, one of these rallies, and so give me one second because I do wanna find it. So the symbol then, um, it comes to the United States. And um, there are several accounts of how it was brought to the United States and started to be used. One of those accounts that I found online was that there was an American student, he was a college student named Philip Altsbach. And he um, persuaded the Student Peace Union to use it as a symbol in the 1960s. But there is also an account that um, there is a gentleman and he was a close associate of um, Dr. King's, that he was in attendance at one of the early marches and that he brought the symbol with him back to the United States. It was Bayard Rustin. And uh, actually it says that he attended the first Easter March. So the very first one, um, and he was a close associate of Dr. King and that he brought it home and it then started to appear um, in civil rights marches. So, you know, there's this idea already that there's this global 
connection between people and this symbol that Gerald Holtzum had created, he never copyrighted intentionally because he wanted people to be able to own it, to use it, to apply it so that um, it could spread and grow. And so over time, we see that happening where the symbol came to the United States through different means, um, different people started to use it for student protest, for civil rights protest, for protest against the Vietnam War, and the symbol takes on a life of its own. And um, it's, you know, it really is for everybody to use. It's encouraged to be something that we can all um, identify with and own and put our own mark on um, towards the hope of actual peace. Thank you, Greta. Uh, before we go on, we, we wanted to ask the question, um, does anyone want to share what your early memory is of the peace symbol? Because during this research, both Greta and I, 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 I had no idea it, the, the symbol went this deep. All I remember is um, during the 60s, that's all we, we had. We had peace sign earrings, shirts, um, even my, our theme for our senior was peace. And we had, you know, a lot of peace symbols and it was, it was really relevant and everybody recognized it here in the United States. And so it was a really big thing. And, and, and we did the sign, the peace sign, you know, so we were all in tune to, to having a peaceful life or a peaceful world or global, you know, global peace. And that was what we talked about a lot. So, yeah. And I'm glad you, Greta, you, you gave us some history of the, because we didn't know, you know, yeah. we just all of a sudden here it was, you know, we didn't know what, what, the, what the symbol meant. And when Heidi asked me to be on this panel, that's when I did a little bit of research and I said, oh my God, you know, it took me 68 years <laughs> to, to really start understanding that I was a part of that, you know, I was a part of that symbol and, and we helped keep it going. I'm sure Mr. Rosinski, John, you know, you were part of that as well. So it, it makes me proud and I'm sure it makes you proud as well. Yeah, and you Thank know, you. I, I think back to the idea that, you know, I participated in the Peace Corps and same thing, you know, I just, uh, I think that I never thought beyond the idea of just this face value that this symbol represents the idea of peace and hope, love, and that was it. I just, I didn't really even take a look beyond it until Heidi had said, hey, let's, you know, let's talk about it, you know, through the foundation. And so when I started to research it, same thing. I, you know, I was surprised. I had no idea that it started um, really out of the push for peace to push against war. It's, it's really a protest symbol um, at its core. Yes, Artseed, I, I want to just take a moment here and introduce some um, Artseed. Uh, we did a collaboration with Artseed uh, during their summer intensive where Greta also presented uh, the origins of the peace symbol and activism through the arts. And a couple of Sami Sunchal's original artwork is uh, hung right now in the Galleria at the Thoreau Center um, in the Presidio. So, Josefa, we're really happy that you're able to join us today. Thank you. Thank you, Thank uh -huh. you for having us. And I, I, uh, it's uh, Pat Avini who's here and Moselle Mack. 
uh, who's an intern through the California Lawyers for the Arts. Hi, Pat. Uh, Hi. <laughs> there they are. There they are. And actually, the, we've already had really great responses to the Sammy Sunchild's work. I think there are two uh, works like what's behind you, but then there are two scrolls and then uh, stacks of posters that people have been taking away um, that uh, have, have been a really beautiful gift uh, yeah. to, the, to the exhibition. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you. Um, I quickly want to just uh, introduce Dave Whitwidge, who is one of our board members at the foundation. Uh, here's a photo of Dave in the front, sailing to Europe in uh, 1961. And um, after having traveled and serving in the military, in the army, he returns to San Francisco at the height of the peace movement on Haight Street in 1967. So welcome, Dave. Well, thank you, Heidi. Am I unmuted? You are yes. unmuted. Thank you all. Well, thank you all for these great presentations. I've really learned a lot. And thank you, especially Greta. It's a, just a really nice presentation with a lot of details and more than I ever knew about the peace symbol. And, and I'll try to uh, briefly talk about my experiences in the 60s, because if you're, I guess if you're old enough to be, have lived in the 60s, you're considered a, a historian now or a historic relic or something. So people are wondering what it was like. Uh, but I, I would first mention that I met in the beginning of the 60s, 1961, the year after that picture, when I got back from Europe, uh, bicycled around Europe, actually staying in youth hostels. Um, I met Martin Luther King. I was in Seattle, uh, where I was living then, and, and he, I had read his book, Strides Toward Freedom, which I really liked in a, in a high school class called Contemporary Thought, actually, and heard that he was coming to Seattle, so I went to hear him. It was at the Temple de Hirsch in Seattle, uh, and they had little file cards. Everybody could send a file card up with a question, and he picked my question to answer, so I got to meet him. Oh. After. Uh, I asked him what I, everybody thought was a very dumb question. I asked him what sort of discrimination he saw in Seattle, uh, and they were all older people there, and they all laughed a lot, but uh, no, he took the question seriously, uh, and uh, he said mostly in housing which uh, was, was probably true. I, I didn't realize it, but it certainly was true at that time in the early 60s. Um, and and uh, 19, well, I, I want to say the Vietnam War, which really expanded the peace movement, I think, and the, and the peace symbol especially, uh, was not universally unpopular in the early 60s. It was uh, people felt that we were trying to put a few troops in there to stop the spread of communism. And uh, it didn't really get wildly unpopular until we kept adding true more troops with no results. Um, and I think in 1965, I left, I dropped out of Yale where I was in college and, and went to uh, teach an, ex an experimental school in North Carolina. Um, and it was a fantastic experience, but as a re result of that, my draft status changed and we were starting to draft people. And so I uh, enlisted for army intelligence in 1960. Six in the end of 1966. Uh, so ironically, I, I went to a lot of these peace uh, uh, demonstrations and was involved in them while I was in the military. Um, and fortunately, I, I, they sent me later to Germany to, to I, they sent me first to Monterey Language School to learn German and then later to Germany. So I didn't have to go to Vietnam. But uh, 
while I was in Monterey Language School, 67 to 68, this is when things were really happening. I mean, the summer of love, 1967. And uh, I, I remember going up one weekend to Haight Street and you couldn't walk on Haight Street. You could, couldn't possibly drive a car and you couldn't even walk. There were so many people. Uh, it was just people coming everywhere to, in the name of peace and love and try to join together in some kind of a movement. And during that summer, they had a human being in Golden Gate Park. I went to that. The main thing I remember was Timothy Leary just kept saying, tune in, turn on, drop out. He said that maybe for 15 minutes. So I, I think everybody got the message. <laughs> uh, and then I also, later that year, because I was in Monterey, went to the Monterey Pop Festival and I saw Jimi Hendrix burn his guitar on stage. So things, things were just getting very active in the late late 60s. And, and uh, uh, the peace symbol was... was Peace movement was a big part of it. Uh, finally, I, I would just add in 1969, after I was, or no, I was 71, after, after I was out of the Army, I taught school for a year in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, uh, another experimental school called High School in the Community, where you'd go out, take kids out into, into the community and learn things that are going on in the community. And um, I took a bunch of kids to see the Bobby Seal trial that was going on in New Haven at that time. And by that time, in the early 70s, it, it, things had turned a little more ugly. There were violent demonstrations. Uh, Bobby Seale was accused of murder. Uh, he was acquitted. Uh, but uh, things had just gotten a little more away from love, I think, and, and away from peace, uh, probably naturally, because Vietnam was still going on. Um, I loved everything you had to say and all the history of the peace symbol, Greta, was very interesting to me. I didn't know any of that. And I just wanted to add a couple things about updating how the peace symbol kind of got more into in the mainstream culture, at least in the Bay Area. Uh, I remember uh, there was a, a congressman from the East Bay named Fortney Pete Stark, uh, and he had a, he started a bank, the Security National Bank, uh, in, in 1963, and it was a, in Walnut Creek, Alameda, and Contra Costa counties. It grew quite a bit, and he was very disenchanted with the Vietnam War and, and, and very much in opposition in the late 60s. And so he put a, a peace symbol on the tower of his, of his bank. Uh, it was there, it was very controversial. It was in all the newspapers. And he was also one of the first banks to start uh, free checking. And on every one of his checks was the peace symbol. Uh, so uh, he went on for 40, he was a congressman after he sold his bank and, and he, he was a congressman for 40 years from the East Bay very active in, in peace movements and healthcare and all sorts of things. And, and I think just died a few years ago. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting that I remember, there was a fellow in San Francisco at, uh, who had several stores, uh, uh, clothing stores, and he was a desi designer named Alvin Duskin. And among other things, well, he, he started a lot of movements. He, he got a legislation somehow in San Francisco to prevent any new buildings over, I think, four stories which didn't last very long, was immediately uh, re revoked. Uh, but one thing he did is he uh, designed a piece dressed in, in 1967. And it, had, it was a hot selling item. It had uh, an acrylic knit dress decorated with rows of peace signs. And it was very popular. People were buying it. A lot of people didn't know what the peace sign is, was, but they just liked the dress. And uh, also many people were wearing them to, uh, <laughs> to peace anti-war demonstrations. So I, that's 
to me, that's that just kind of brings it all full screen as to how how popular that sign got as a, as a result of Vietnam and uh, people using it even in a commercial sense. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think I'll stop there. Thank you, thank you, Dave. Um, does anyone have a question for Dave? With his rich description of his experience, or anyone relate to it? Josefa, you need to unmute yourself. Yes, I, uh, it's just a, a quick question. I was interested in the name of the experimental school in North Carolina. That sure, you it's called the North Carolina Advancement School. It was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, it was when Terry Sanford was the governor of, of North Carolina. He did, was very active in a lot of educational things. Uh, and it was, it, what they did is they brought students from all over the state to an old hospital that had been closed down in Winston-Salem as a boarding school, uh, eighth grade kids, all boys, uh, mm -hmm. for three months. And uh, these were kids who were considered underachievers. They'd always scored high on tests, but uh, not well in, hadn't done well in school. And we did uh, original readings. Instead of studying uh, history books, we read George Washington's diaries. And we talked about how he freed his mm -hmm. slaves at the, at the end of his life. And uh, the kids were, were, were the same as the population of North Carolina. So there was a large amount of African-American kids and, and got along well. It, it uh, finally, I think, dissolved, but uh, it, it went well for several years. Thank you. That's fascinating. Thank, thank you, Dave. Uh, and now I would like to, I'm really grateful and extremely moved to be introducing my eighth grade teacher and friend, Ms. Fernandez. Um, a little bit of uh, background here of uh, Ms. Fernandez. Here's a picture of us in eighth grade. And I have to say, Ms. Fernandez, along with Mr. Ozinski, really strengthen um, our sense of camaraderie, our sense of inclusion and acceptance um, for, for all of us. And uh, Ms. Fernandez was born, raised in Oakland in the late 1960s. And during her morning walks to school, unbeknownst to her mother, she would stop by the Black Panthers building along with her younger brother for companionship and a warm breakfast. So we're looking forward to a bit of storytelling. Uh, so welcome, Ms. Fernandez. Well, thank you, Heidi. And I'm very, I feel really privileged in you having me here and meeting Greta and David, your stories were just touching and, and um, just, I, I, I wanna meet you. <laughs> so uh, I think we have a lot to talk about. So as, as Heidi stated, I went to um, a Catholic school on 40th and, and Grove Street. And if anyone knows the Black Panther office was on 42nd and Grove Street, my mom, uh, told me and my brother, do not walk past the Black Panther's office. You need to bypass that. And I said, shoot. I told my brother, if you say a word, I'll knock you out. And so we would, we would stop in there and who would be serving me breakfast would be Huey P. Newton. And he was so welcoming and um, I felt safe. And so we would have a free hot breakfast and um, he would just talk about, it was, it, it was the beginning of the Head Start. I don't know if anybody remember Head Start. It was the beginning of feeding children so that they had a full belly by the time they got to school, then they could learn better. Well, my mother had fed us breakfast, but I was double breakfasting it. So 
you know, um, I would go there just to get whatever they had, the hash browns or whatever. And um, then my brother and I would scurry quickly to school before we were late. Um, and I just want to let everybody know that I had the privilege of about maybe, um, I guess about maybe six years ago, I was at a best friend's house and um, the doorbell rang. She says, oh, Reese, can you get that? So I went to the door and when I opened the door, lo and behold, who's standing in front of me but Angela Davis. And I said, oh my God, I said, you're Angela Davis. She says, oh yeah, I'm here to walk Michelle's dog. I said, you walk Michelle's dog? She says, oh yeah, you know, we're neighbors. I said, you live down the street? And I turned to my friend and said, you never told me that Angela Davis, and I tried to get her to be on this call today, just to let you guys know, but she had some type of engagement this morning, but um, she wanted to wish you all well and peace. That's what she said. But um, so I do personally know Angela, you know, through my, through my best friend, Michelle. So just to let you know that she's still in the Bay Area. She's still giving out advice. She's still teaching. So that's a blessing. Um, and speaking of teaching, I, I, I started teaching because it was a ministry. I was able, I could have taught in a public school and I could have made buku money. I could have a better pension, right, Mr. Rosinski? <laughs> we could have a better pension at this time. But unfortunately, we taught to, to teach at a, at a Catholic school where we could teach prayer, where we could teach peace, we could teach love. And um, I was fortunate to teach in San Francisco with teaching Heidi where it was multicultural. We had Samoans, we had Hispanics, we had whites, we had Maltese. So we had a variety of students and it, it, was, it was very, um, as Heidi says, she still has a book that I, I, I assigned to them, an English book. Cause I said, you cannot get anywhere in this life if you don't have an education. You can't read and you can't write and you don't know the King's English, you know, you won't make it. So I'm very proud of her and she still has that book. Um, the climate in the Bay Area, I went to an all girls high school. In fact, it was all girls white high school. We just celebrated our 50th class reunion. And I was able to tell them that it wasn't a very good place for me, or I, was, I wasn't very comfortable because um, anything I wanted to do, I wasn't able to do. I wanted to join the crew team because you know they said that black people can't swim. Well, I could swim, but um, I was wondering, the coach never allowed me to try out for the team. And so just two weeks ago, um, one of my classmates says, well, the reason why he didn't, um, you couldn't try out is because he told us that we didn't want to have any black people on the team, on the crew team. And so she said she immediately quit. And I didn't know that. I mean, it took us, what, 50 years for me to find out that she quit because I couldn't join the team. So I, um, that, that really warmed my heart. Um, so I think that's, uh, well, when, when Dave was talking about that, he taught at a community school. I first started out at the street academy. And um, I don't know if you remember in Oakland, they had a street academy and my uncle had started it and he wanted me to be a part of it. And that's where I really had a love, got, you know, a love for teaching. I wanted to be an attorney. But when I did that summer program for Street Academy, that's when I knew that my ministry and my mission was to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I still teach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so not, not school school, but I teach adults how to, mm -hmm. how to save money. So I'm still doing that. Um, 
the Bay Area, as you know, you know, we had um, it, it was it was diverse, but it was starting to be more African Americans. Right now, my parents still live in the same house that I, my mother does. My father passed away, but still is in the same house I did in high school. And um, right now, it's it's not a very peaceful place. Um, just last week, they had a murder right on the corner of my mom's house. Um, so it's, you know, Oakland is not a safe place. It's not a peaceful place. And as I was talking to Heidi the other day, I think the programs that they have, like the um, Section 8 programs, the welfare, I think that was a way of um, keeping people captive, especially African-Americans. It wasn't a way to let them uh, uh, have freedom or even peace. They had to be dependent on something and to keep them dependent, kept them down. And I, and I still believe in that to this day, that, that welfare, section eight, free rides didn't allow my people to, to, to be, um, successful. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you needed me to talk about. Oh, I stopped going to the Black Panther office. And Heidi, I did say they were shot up, but then I remember it, there was a bomb. Oh. Um, they, they set off a, 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 multi, a multi, one of those cocktail things, and that's what bombed the office. And so I was not allowed to even pass in front of it. I didn't want to pass in front of it anymore. So it lasted about a year and a half, and then you know I wasn't able to, to go there anymore. So. Mm-hmm. But um, the Black Panthers were very, very, I mean, they were visible everywhere. Courthouse, you know, if you had to go to the courthouse to pay a ticket, there was a Black Panther party and they were very protective of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, then we had the Vietnam War and I was like, oh my God, that was, that was a lot of my friends were, were being drafted because they dropped out of school. Um, also, um, oh darn it, what I wanted to say. Also, um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. I, I wrote down notes. Okay. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Oh, also at that time, I was really a, a protester. So I got a chance to sneak off of campus one day in high school and catch a ride down to meet Cesar Chavez and protest, and protest the grapes um the the workers the great the the workers the farm workers and so um my mother had no idea she still doesn't know any that I went there so don't tell her nobody in here tell her that um I spent the whole like two days down there and we slept outside with the farm workers and um you know it was it was just a, a wonderful to meet Cesar Chavez and to be a part of that that movement mm-hmm. and so that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Fernandez. <laughs> I just wanted to take a moment here. Does um, anyone have a question for Ms. Fernandez? Um, I do. Uh, so, you know, you were talking about the time period of um, one, the experience of being excluded from something that you wanted to participate in, but then also on the other hand of having organizations like the Black Panthers. So when you were growing up, did you have a sense of like optimism? Was this like a, a charged feeling like things were going to change and be better? Or was there, you know, a sense of worry and concern? Like what, what feeling was that growing up like that? 
Okay, great. I'm glad you asked that question because right now I'm more worried and concerned than I was then. I was more optimistic. Um, even though the Black Panther um, carried guns and you know they wore fatigues and they were like ready for war, but it was a war to make me feel safe. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any, you know, um, I felt safe with them. And even when I, in high school, we started, a, 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 we wanted to start a black student union, but they, the Catholic nuns would not let us call it a black student union. We had to call it a black cultural society. And I went, hmm. I said, well, you know, something is better than nothing. So I don't mind calling it a black cultural society. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I started that in our high school and um, it's it, now they call it a BSU, Black Student Union. So and we had to make it inclusive, which is fine. You know, I don't mind it being inclusive of everyone, but um, the fact that we couldn't title it because that was being, um, uh, what do you call that? Militant, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that was militant. You know, we couldn't do that. That was, so we had to change the name. But we changed the name, but we still had the same purpose. Mm -hmm. so you did know, I your question. <laughs> yes, this is sort of off topic, but um, has anybody here seen Dear White People? It was yes. on uh, Netflix, so it really, like, you know, I feel like they're reflecting your story, you know, in in some of that, you know, that it touches upon that. Yeah, it is my story basically, and then um, years later, I joined a sorority, and so our sorority right now. Um, we do a lot in the community, you know, but since COVID, you know, we, you know, we, we can't do as much as we used to, but we do go to schools and we do make them feel safe. And I feel like a, a Black Pantherist because I am making them feel safe and, and, um, and giving them books and educating them. So um, I'm still, I'm still about, I'm still about the duty of, of, of helping. And, yeah. And we have a question from George here, uh, Ms. Fernandez. What are some of what are some of the supports that you experienced from the Black Panthers that we can use today? Um, I think some of the support was they they really focused on education, but they focused on having a healthy life so that you can um, have a good education. You know, when we went there, they just talked about. Um, and we can still do that, you know, to, we, we can do that as adults still, you know, talk to people, children, young adults, and tell them that, you know, um, education is the key to success, you know, and, and if you have to grab it, you have to grab it. If you have to take it, you have to take it. But you also need to be nourished. I think that was the whole purpose of the breakfast was to be nourished, you know, a nourishment, even though it was food, but you have to be nourished by all of us. And I think that's, that's, um, I think that's it. I think that's, that's, I think that's the, the, how can I put it? The, um, I think that's the rule we have to live by, by them, you know, is to be like that. So, and one of my students put on the, um, the Fruitville station tape. Um, he was, he was, he, you know, did that and, um, uh, I taught him just a little bit, of, a little bit of, 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 of uh, I was his English teacher in a summer school program, but he was, a, he was an extreme good writer. And so Ira Kugler. And so now, you know, he's doing a lot more and I'm very, very proud. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of writer students 
that if they have any plays coming up, I sure will let you guys know. Thank you, Ms. Fernandez. Uh, one of the things that you shared with me over the phone um, was how your mother would stop everything to listen to Martha Luther King on the radio. Right, we, we had a television, but of course that wasn't televised. It was more on the radio. So um, my mother says, oh my God, we would know he was gonna be on the radio and she would stop everything, housework, cooking, um, nothing, was, nothing was going on. We had to sit in front of the radio and listen to his speeches. And um, it, it was, you know, my mother instilled that in us, you know? And so when he passed away, when he got killed, that was devastating to our, our whole Oakland neighborhood was, was a fire, you know, LA was a fire, you know, people were rioting and, and they were upset, they were angry. And I think um, a lot of our stores were, were destroyed. And um, my, my mother had a lot to do with um, my, my um, the, way I, the way I was brought up and, and being inclusive of everyone and being peaceful and, and, um, and listening to Martin Luther King. As a matter of fact, I, Heidi, I didn't get a chance to do that with you, but when I taught in Oakland after I left San Francisco, I would, one of my jobs would be to take my students to Washington DC, where we would learn about our history. And, um, and one of the things that we did was there was a, a collecting of pennies for the Martin Luther King um, Memorial. And it was the first year that I brought my students there that we were, um, they, were they were raising pennies for that. And so my whole class, I had them do the Martin Luther King speech, I have a dream speech. We sat on the steps of, in front of the Jefferson Memorial and everybody, I mean, people stopped just to listen to us. And I gave them all a part and what they did was that we recited the speech right there and we passed around a bucket and we collected at least about $500 in pennies. So um, I, feel, I feel good about being a part of that, about that monument. And I do wanna go back. Once this dang on pandemic is over, I do wanna go back and take my husband. He didn't get a chance to go. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Fernandez for your story. Really appreciate it. Um, so we're officially wrapping up our time, but um, Greta has this uh, amazing piece of presentation with Faith Ringel, which really highlights things that Greta, uh, Ms. Fernandez has been, has been touching on. So um, we're inviting you to continue staying with us maybe for the next uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, Greta, you think? And um, feel free to stay. And if you need to leave, that's okay too. Peaceful World Foundation was founded by the late Sami Sunchild in 2006 and has since awarded over half a million dollars 
to local San Francisco and Bay Area nonprofit organizations. Our mission is to promote peace by supporting and encouraging nonprofit organizations in their peace building efforts within the field of the arts and mindful education. Thank you for listening. To learn more about our community building work or to attend our conversations live, visit us at peacefulworldfoundation.org.